so now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to light the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Yeah, we'll be honest with ourselves next week, as usual, and say, OK, it's a stonking result, but what could we have done better? Finding that passion for racing again. You know, stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because I love racing cars and I love competing and that's really what's changed this year. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel getting ready to a pre-Townsville show. It's uh, an interesting week coming up. Plenty of things happening around. None of it seems to be sort of major. Probably the biggest news was the Barry Ryan one. That is the team manager... Um, is now also team principal because he is uh, taking on the role of uh, a team ownership with Betty Clemenko. Interesting news. I'm certainly very pleased for Barry um, to have come this far. He's being rewarded for doing a great job, wouldn't you agree, Craig? Indeed, and that team is certainly at the top of its form. They are the leading Holden team too, which I think when you consider where... Erebus have come from, the Mercedes moving to Melbourne, Will Davison abandoning ship and David Reynolds coming over, you would have to say that there's been some interesting decisions made, but the right ones have been made most recently. Indeed, and certainly that uh, Dave's uh, expectations and challenge for this year was to uh, be in the championship um and be in the running for the championship, albeit that he's quite a few points off Scotty McLaughlin, only because of the DJR Tim Penske's uh, driver. But um, he's sitting in third place in the points, and certainly he and Anton have been doing a champion job, along with, of course, the engineers at Erebus. Uh, they uh, really have done a tremendous work in being ready for the linear springs and doing it well. Now, Tony, coming up this week, we have two... Very interesting and different interviews. Tegan Scott from Walkinshaw Andretti United, who's their commercial operations executive. Uh, Sounds very American, that title, doesn't it? And then we've got Dylan O'Keefe, who uh, had Michael Caruso sharing his car at Winton last weekend when they were testing there. So um, there are two interviews coming up later in the show that I think everyone will enjoy. I uh, imagine it will be interesting to hear from somebody whose introduction to motorsport as a job, not just as a, a hobby or something they wanted to follow, but as a job, was uh, in something like Formula E, um, you know, one of the new age uh, motorsports around the world, and certainly interesting to hear from Tegan, who we met back in Adelaide. Um, looking around the paddock, there are a number of uh, milestones this weekend. Fabian Coulthard uh, is going to be having his 400th race start, which sounds like a large number. He has been there a while. He's running the triple three number, which is in fact three threes, a company that's an Australian-owned company. It's 100 years old. Uh, the McAlpine family have been uh, five generations running it, and it's certainly terrific to have such an enormous name in the uh, paddock, uh, albeit on Dick Johnson's cars. Then we've got a number of other interesting milestones. Brad Jones, uh, their 600 race start. Matt Stone at the other end of the equation there in their 50th. Um, It's certainly uh, interesting to see all these teams reaching these milestones. It bodes well that uh, people have been in the business long enough that they can actually reach these. Um, Some interesting times, I mean... 
Scotty McLaughlin last year had a pole, as, as did Van Gisbergen at Townsville, so the strong possibility is that DJR Tim Penske will uh, reach the level of 100 poles in supercars, so that's quite something uh, to happen. Yeah, um, for me, a lot of the race starts been... and round starts numbers, Tony, are just, uh, yeah, so what? But that one about the poles, uh, that one's uh, got some merit in it, I, I reckon, but... The rest of it, it just seems like numbers for numbers' sake. It sounds like we've run out of things to talk about. Jim Slade, last weekend, he subbed for his dad in a Hyundai XL down at Tail and Bend. Tim got back into grassroots motorsport with a whole bunch of guys running around in Hyundai XLs and um, had a great time. And uh, Slade was uh, third on the podium, I think, uh, from the weekend. Yep, qualified fastest and finished third. It seems we are seeing that. Yeah, we are seeing it where... Drivers are going off and doing other things. I mean, I certainly think it's a terrific for the sport to get these drivers out, and particularly when they're out competing against drivers who maybe not make <laughs> this their occupation, but would love to. But here they are. They can measure themselves against somebody who is a professional driver. So that's fantastic. It, uh, it makes something else. He's um, going to be running a new uh, chassis too. They've done a chassis switch going into Townsville for uh, BJR. So it'll be interesting to see whether his fortunes have any change with a different chassis underneath him. Well, certainly Brad Jones Racing have been challenged, uh, particularly over the over the Hidden Valley weekend. But all year they seem to have been repairing cars at a fairly great rate. They know how to zip together a ZB in no time at all. Um, the other uh, interesting driver this weekend is that Michael Caruso is stepping back into a seat he knew well, albeit not the car he knew. Michael Caruso returning to Gary Rogers and uh, racing in uh, number 33. Um, you could almost say he's subbing for Garth Tander, who didn't get the drive this year. But he's subbing, of course, for Richie Stanaway, who's still got his neck problems. Chris Pither did the uh, mandatory uh, two rounds he could do, and that's it, because he's a, a co-driver with Richie in the Enduros, as he was last year. And he can only do those two rounds, so he did both Winton and Hidden Valley. Okay, so now Michael's stepping in for Townsville. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how he likes a Commodore. Of course, he's a a uh, endurance driver for Tickford this year. He's been picked up and uh, was racing with Cam Water, so it'll be interesting for him to hear his comments relative to the Mustang versus uh, ZB Commodores. Mm. So, uh, some... Other changes happening about the calendar, I understand there's some news around Craig. Yeah, a lot of discussion about, and we've been following it over the last uh, few months, that it almost seems certain now that two events are going to go out of the calendar and uh, it's going to depend on probably government funding in the Queensland side, whether Queensland's willing to fund both Townsville, where we are this weekend, and also fund the Gold Coast. or will we see more races in Victoria dropped? Uh, Phillip Island, even we heard Kim Jones saying they don't enjoy going to Phillip Island. It, it seems like Phillip Island might be on the chop. And then, of course, Winton, I don't think, has had the uh, contract re-signed yet. So I can't imagine Winton being dropped again. But it has been dropped in the past, so you, you can never say never in this sort of thing uh, your mate used to say there's no sacred cows in supercars. Yeah, he was no particular mate of mine. But anyway, um, uh, some more changes being made to uh, specifications and series and formats and things like that with 
Park Fermi rules, uh, which uh, were introduced. Were they in Tassie? Yes, they were in Tassie. They ran them. That is that after qualifying, you can't touch the cars. And I think they've uh, increased that uh, the number of restrictions for Queensland Raceway. Not this weekend at Townsville, but uh, at Queensland Raceway. And that's to add up a permutation. You've got to run the tyres you ran in qualifying in the race. So there'll be people there trying to work out what they should be doing and what are they going for, a pole position or a, uh, a good race uh, package. So mm. that'll be interesting to uh, see how that develops. This weekend, of course, Super 2 is back on the schedule uh, in Townsville. Blanchard is uh, jumping back into the series to get mileage before the Enduros, and uh, I think it'll be good to uh, to see him mixing up with uh, a bunch of the youngsters. Um, there's some pretty good kids in there, as you imagine uh, we've spoken to uh, throughout this year. Yeah, that's right, and uh, Will Brown is one we are going to be watching quite closely. We'll see if the Kostecki brothers and cousin can continue on their run. It's going to be a very interesting weekend with both the main game and the Super 2 Series, probably asking more questions than they'll answer. All right, now we'll uh, hear from Tegan Scott telling us of her day in the life of Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske. And you're on Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. We've been talking, going to be talking with Tegan Scott of Walkinshaw Andretti United. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now Tegan, your title uh, with Walkinshaw is... Commercial Operations Executive. Right. But you cover a wide gamut of uh, responsibilities, I understand. Yes, correct. Anywhere yeah, from okay. our partners to our travel. Okay, right. Um, now, motorsport, where do you, you get together with it? Um, I guess uh, my love of motorsport started probably the early 2000s when I would stay up and watch the Formula One with my dad. Uh, and from there, started learning about different categories, then supercars, that sort of thing. So, yeah, basically started with Formula One. Okay. And and when when you first got involved? Uh, first got involved in motorsport in um, March 2016. I uh, got approached by someone in Formula E, the electric street racing series. Uh, they asked me to fill in at an event for their administrator, and I flew to Mexico for a week. Wow. Well, that's heading into the deep end very quickly. Um, what was your connection? Who was uh... Uh, She was a girl, a, a friend of mine that I had met um, probably about five years previously who lived in the UK. She was very much involved in uh, Formula E when it first started 
and she created a role within the team she was with and I joined um, herself doing their travel and driver responsibilities and then when she fell pregnant and couldn't travel, I she asked me to step in. Wow. Right. What were you doing before you made that transition to Formula E? I was an office manager for a construction company in Newcastle. So it's quite a transition then to uh, <laughs> be working from a construction company in and around the Hunter to going all over the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Big difference. What was the challenges? Because you were still based in Newcastle, even though you were on a World Championship Series. Yeah, uh, the biggest challenge was uh, time away from home. Uh, and then there was the late nights when I would be in Newcastle between events. It was uh, the late nights. So sometimes my partner would get up for uh, in the morning to go to work at four o'clock and I was had not gone to bed yet. So that sometimes was a challenge, but uh, in the end I made it work the best way it suits uh, and the way that it worked for the team as well. And so you were going to every event right throughout that time period? Yes, yeah. The two and a half years that I worked for the team, I travelled to all of the events. Now this was for Andretti or Penske? I can't remember. Uh, Penske. I worked for Jay Penske, Dragon Racing. So with Dragon Racing, you've obviously seen how that organisation runs. Did you see a big difference when you came back to Australia and then started racing and uh, working in supercars? Uh, yes and no. Uh, supercars is a bit different. Uh, Formula E in itself is still like a baby in their learning from each from themselves every race, uh, whereas supercars is obviously a lot more advanced, grown up, learnt from their mistakes in the past. So the setup, whilst it's the same. It's still very different um, and things work. Supercars certainly works very well from what I deal with day to day. Uh, not that Formula E didn't, of course, um, but logistical, it's just you're booking Australian airports versus international airports and 95% of the team are based here in Melbourne, whereas when I dealt with the Formula E team, they were based America, myself in Australia and throughout Europe and the UK. So your responsibilities here in supercars with Walkley, what what do they cover? Obviously, the travel is one component, but logistics of it at all? Yeah, so I do the travel and our schedule, so organise everyone, tell them where they need to be. Uh, I also am a bit of the face of the team, so when people arrive in the garage, they will be greeted generally uh, by me. And I do our garage tours as well, um, handle our partners, uh, also help out with uh, Andrew when he needs help with the drivers, that sort of thing, if we have to be in two places at once. Uh, and, yeah, lots lots more things in between, but uh, it's hard to put a name to everything. So it was a both coming to work in a country you know well um, and obviously working in a business that you've grown to know. Yeah, definitely, definitely a benefit. Um, I only just moved to Melbourne to join Walkinshaw. Uh, it was a perfect opportunity for me so to keep working in racing and that's what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, it all flowed on from the construction company to Formula E to here, just the, uh, the organisation work. 
So what are the things that you actually enjoy about your job? What is it you like about working in supercars? Uh, well, I enjoy being around uh, racing, motor racing. That's uh, the ultimate dream, I guess, for somebody who's a fan. Um, but the, the variety, whilst things in one sense are the same each weekend, it is still a bit of variety. You've got different people, uh, different places you travel to, different climates. Uh, it all It's all exciting. It's better than sitting in an office all day long, nine to five, Monday to Friday. There's challenges thrown in, whilst sometimes not great. You you learn from from all of the different environments you're in. So apart from um, the fact that you're now dealing in domestic, I mean, you uh, you unfortunately missed the uh, early run to the Texas's and the Shanghai's and the Dubai's. You missed that one. Uh, some of it was great, some of it wasn't. But um, apart from the fact that obviously domestic versus international, what are the differences you find between the paddocks in Formula E versus supercars? Um, there's not a great deal of difference uh, specifically other than Formula E works a lot more involved in, I guess, in each other's business. You, Your catering is all one catering company, so everyone is in one location, breakfast, lunch and dinner, whereas supercars, everyone's got their own individual catering. So you sort of have a lot more interaction with different teams and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, otherwise, and the paddocks, Whilst a pit building is still a pit building, um, being that uh, with Formula E everything is flown around the world rather than a transporter, you're sort of restricted to just that pit building in Formula E, whereas supercars you've got your transporter, you can go and hide in, go and do your work in, that sort of thing. So realistically, no, there's not not a great difference because it's still motorsport. Um, And obviously the noise the noise on track is completely different. Supercars are a lot louder and smellier than Formula E cars. (laughs) There's a lot of talk about the future of motorsport and the future future of the automotive business. And yet, whilst there's pockets of interest in Formula E, it hasn't really gained a lot of widespread support. And I imagine that's partly because uh, the old generation don't want to let go of that smell and sound. Yeah, I think uh, I think Formula E, if it continues to be successful, it's it's the series of the future. They have the potential for future generations to only know electric vehicles, and this is and supercars or Formula One are uh, are the past, and they don't understand it because they've never experienced it like they do Formula E or electric vehicles. So they have an advantage so long as they continue to do things well. Uh, the other thing that they will struggle with is they choose to go to um, city locations. They want to be in the middle of the city so that everyone experiences it, which doesn't always make the fans happy or the locals happy. So whilst supercars get to go to some very remote uh, tracks, they're not really upsetting anyone, so they can continue to go there. But Formula E travelling to the likes of Switzerland and having issues because they're closing down the streets for 72 hours doesn't keep the locals very happy. Of course, there was talk that Adelaide might close off the Formula E series. Now, you've experienced Formula E uh, in its, all its glory. 
What would that be like compared to what we see with a supercar event there? Uh, Adelaide would be a fantastic location for any motorsport series. Formula E being racing that they, sorry, race with them racing on street tracks, it would be perfect in Adelaide. Uh, but supercars, I mean, it's amazing racing around the circuit. They'd have to pick a different circuit. It wouldn't be the same. The same. Nobody would enjoy it as much as a supercar around the uh, Adelaide circuit. They'd have to pick somewhere else to make it exciting. Otherwise, they'd be too, there'd be too much comparison. You've been to a of different cities uh, following Formula E. Which is the one that you enjoyed the most? I mean, there's obviously uh, South America and Europe. Where, where did you uh, find it the, the most fun? Uh, obviously, Monaco is pretty uh, pretty top of the list. Um, but the likes of Paris, racing in the streets of Paris where you can see the Eiffel Tower, all of that sort of thing is pretty amazing. Um, oh, where else? Hong Kong is pretty cool. Was that Macau track? Uh, that was in the city in Hong Kong. Oh, okay, right. I didn't haven't seen that race. I haven't. I've enjoyed them. I mean, there's obviously the spec change this year came with instead of having the uh, second car that made a big difference to the series. Yeah, so stepping away from the the car change changed the uh, the ability of drivers that could succeed in the sport. It's gone back to completely energy saving ability. Um, whereas before there was a bit of athletic ability and teamwork with your team to be able to do the car change quick enough. Uh, they realistically need to just keep the manufacturers uh, improving their work and the power that, that the batteries, which is from Formula E, um, if they can keep that going, then they need to work on have actually putting in a pit stop as the battery progresses and they can run longer races because otherwise it might start to get a little bit more boring. Yeah. The- they talk about the um, hybrid racing that supercars might eventually transition into. How would you see a shift from where we are now to where it probably needs to be in 10, 15 years' time? Oh, I think the way the world is going, supercars will need to make some sort of change. Um, I'm not very technical when it comes to exactly how that needs to be done, so it's probably not a, a great question for me. I'm not going to pretend to know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they need to, they will need to work. As I mean, Australia, I don't know if they have committed to when uh, they will stop producing petrol cars, but once that, hit, that deadline hits, that's when motorsport needs to start thinking about the future five, ten years in advance of what they're doing today mm. to keep up in with everything that's going to happen. What's a average weekday, so a non-race weekday, look like for you in the office at uh, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United? Uh, it's about an 8.30 till 5, 5.30 day here in the workshop. Uh, on the phone or emails all day to travel or uh, our guys here doing our schedules organising our membership programs, pretty much just uh, a standard sort of an office day, except that I can walk out to the other part of the workshop and talk to the guys whilst they're working on the cars for a break. So sort of, I guess, a standard office day. It's just a little bit of a 
uh, more exciting location. And how far in advance are you working on? Like this weekend, you've got the team up in Townsville, you've got the transporter leaving at one time, you've got your first line of promotion drivers and, and team on the ground, then you've got the mechanics coming in, then you've got yourself and uh, the other the other people that are doing support work. How do, do you manage that and how far in advance are you managing those timelines? Um, we start at the start of the season, we lock in um, some flight and accommodation for the season right through and then it's anywhere between 45 and 35 and 30 days before an event that we start to get more serious about uh, when everyone is actually going to travel and where who needs to stay where or travel when or do they need to go via somewhere else for another appearance but yeah it's about 45 to 30 days before an event and so at the moment we're about to fly to Townsville, but I'm working on it, which which is at the end of this month, doing the schedule because everything's come from supercars in the last few days. But also looking forward to Tail and Bend, which is the end of August. And how do you go with things like well Perth, where they completely change things very with very late notice? Did that have you scrambling to try and get flights earlier or trying to move things around? We did have a shift for a couple of our engineers to arrive earlier than what we had originally planned. But with our our early crew travel, that was okay. It was only for things like track walk uh, that it sort of held us up a little bit and we had to make some changes. The drivers were already arriving early for an appearance, so thankfully we were on top of that one. But, yeah, it it does make it hard, but we, we work with supercars fairly closely to try and reduce the amount of changes that happen last minute and reduce costs. I imagine, Tegan, that um, when you were working in Formula E that there were a fair number of women already there. Motorsport on the world stage has had a lot of women involved for for many years. Is that what your experience was? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Whilst I was the only female in, in the team with Dragon, there was two or three in most other teams Plus Formula E in itself, uh, they are they've got um, hundreds of women working for Formula E. So it was I wasn't the odd one out. Not that I'm saying I am in supercars. No, no, no. I I understand that. Yeah, but, but motorsport has been a very male domain. H- have you found working at Walkinshaws and in supercars to be uh, well less? Um, Male dominated. I mean, that you, you're not an unusual person in pit lane nowadays. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot more comfortable. Not saying again, Formula E wasn't, but yeah, it yeah. is it is uh, refreshing to see female faces and more and more female faces as you walk down pit lane at each event and here at the workshop. Whilst again, I'm the only person here, the guys are very welcoming. There's no no issues. So I would never say to a woman you can't work in motorsport anymore it's well and truly a comfortable environment for everyone there are obviously things that women can do better i mean attention to detail is something that normally is put in the hands of women (laughs) yeah and their ability to multitask as well (laughs) are there things that you see that that need improving in the way supercars go about it. I'm not suggesting that you want to sit here and list the things that are wrong, but are there things that you can see that would be better if they were done in a different way? You know, the way in which your schedule's done, for instance, at a race meeting. 
it was a two-day meeting in Perth. Was that something that you think should be a way they should go? Yeah, the guys, uh, we all certainly enjoy the shorter events, the two-day events like in Perth. But as the supercars are trying to do, uh, change the calendar a little bit so that there's more sort of summer racing, a little bit more fair weather sport, that in itself could be very exciting so long as they can time that we're not going to Darwin in the middle of their biggest heat waves, that sort of thing. I guess a bit like going to Adelaide, middle of February. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if if you could pick and choose a night race location, that would certainly, I think, make the sport uh, more enjoyable for everyone. Certainly those watching at home, you can certainly watch a night race. Well, you'd certainly think, for instance, that Queensland Raceway would benefit from racing uh, because uh, it's a pretty boring little track normally and uh, being able to just see the lights of cars coming up and down could add a lot of excitement. Well, I mean, it worked for Sydney Motorsport Park, so I reckon it could work for everywhere. Were you around when the Newcastle Motodrome was in its heyday? Were you going out there? No, no, that's uh, before my time. <laughs> <laughs> we see how mechanics and truck drivers and all those sorts of crews have to work and they have to work some pretty crazy hours i imagine it's not too different for you guys in the uh, in the front office if you like or the back office depending on which way you look at it how do you manage that you know 24 7 365 day environment to make sure that you don't send yourself crazy i have to say it's a lot better in supercars than it was for me in formula e uh, maybe it's the, the time zone, but realistically, as you approach a race weekend, your your phone is never off. You, you don't really get that shutdown period. But thankfully, everyone, unless it's an emergency, everyone respects the fact that you, you're at home uh, and, and tries not to interrupt with things that aren't important. Of course, if there's a travel delay and... I can help, of course I tell them to contact me, but we here in the commercial side of things, it's a different world to the guys that are standing on their feet all day, the mechanics, the engineers, they're all standing around working whilst we might be standing at the back of the garage on a race weekend. We might be standing around doing, doesn't look like much, but we're leading up to an event, we, we are so busy it's not funny, and they don't not many people get to see how how much goes on in the commercial side of a team that, uh, like you say, is, can be 24-7, 365 days a year. So it's just the team here are exceptionally good at making sure you get the days off that you, you miss out on when you work a weekend. So thankfully they push you on that. And I'm because of my past, I'm used to not taking time off. So thankfully they push me to do it. What do you think is going to be the biggest change that's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months? You know, how do you think it's going to affect your job, the way in which the programs can, you know, may change? I mean, there was just today, I think I read somewhere about the possibility of two meetings dropping from the schedule, that sort of thing on that. I think the biggest change in supercars over the next 12 to 24 months will be the way they're shifting to move their calendar. Um, From my point of view... So long as they give me enough time, I can I can make it work. But it, ultimately, they're looking at cost saving as well and trying to ensure that the teams, the people in the teams, get to have that life that we've just talked about. 
get that time off the break and make sure nobody burns out. So I think, well, I don't know, like, as I said before, I don't know much about the mechanical side of things with what they change, but I know that they're trying to do cost saving or reducing costs over the next few years to make the sport more sustainable for more cars, more teams. So that's why they're trying to do the calendar changes. And I think when the, if they can introduce more two-day weekends, race weekends, then it might be a little bit more exciting for people to watch as well as easier on the team. Thank you very much, Tegan, for joining us on Inside Supercars. It's been terrific to get the perspective of somebody who's a motorsport professional and uh, obviously brings a different set of tools to the game in supercars with uh, International being uh, your uh, game day normally. We look forward to uh, catching up with you. It won't be in Townsville. Both Craig and I are missing that one, but uh, maybe tail and bend. Uh, Thank you for your time on Inside Supercars, uh, Tegan Scott. No worries. Thanks, guys. See you later. It's certainly an interesting world for a woman to make a career in motorsport and to move from uh, an international back to a domestic series. After the break, we'll be hearing from Dylan O'Keefe as he makes his debut this weekend in Townsville with Gary Rogers Motorsport. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones I'm from the Cool Drive Radio team and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Dylan O'Keefe joins us on the line as we get set for Townsville and the Super 2s make their return to the track and fortunately for you Dylan you've uh, had TCR come along which has got your hands in once again. I've oh, given you plenty of racing laps over the past few months. Yes exactly right so uh, very fortunate to be racing in uh, the two championships this year in TCR Australia and also Super 2 so I've uh, been uh, I've done two races in each of those championships so far this season, uh, so equal amounts in either, but uh, definitely Super 2 is my priority, and I uh, can't wait to get into the third round of the championship this weekend at Townsville. Now, Townsville is a track that only comes around once a year, so what's your experience there? Uh, yeah, I've um, never raced at Townsville, actually. I've been up there once prior to uh, work with um, a previous team I raced for, um, and just to understand how it all works, but... Uh, yeah, I uh, never thought I'd be racing up there. And um, about fast forward about four or five years, I'm uh, competing up there. So super excited to get up there. I know the V8 Supercar loves the uh, loves the curbs, so it should be really well balanced around that bumpy circuit. Um, and also it's got some fast, high-speed committed sections too. So I think uh, that style of track should suit me and also uh, our car too. Now, you're racing with GRM in the supercars and in Super mm-hmm. 2 and uh, had a test day. Where was that, Winton, uh, a week ago? Yeah, so we tested at Winton uh, last Wednesday. So that was fantastic to test right uh, before the event. So obviously, haven't driven the car since Perth a couple of months ago. So uh, the car's a bit foreign after driving the TCR car recently. Um, but found... Uh, felt very comfortable straight away once again so it was good to get uh, a lot of laps under my belt and uh feel comfortable and also prepared for this weekend so 
it was a credit to the team organising that test very close uh, before the round. Now, there's been a few changes at GRM with uh, Michael Caruso coming in. Was he at the test mm-hmm. day? Uh, yes, Michael was at the test day. So uh, he did about 20 laps in my car um, throughout the day. So he was uh, great to get some feedback and also work with. So uh, it was good to have that, uh, I guess, the um, the experience of Michael there to... Um, lead us in the right direction and also um, also approve of what we're doing is correct too. So uh, obviously we've got an experienced bunch of engineers and uh, I'm driving the car that Chris drove last year and he won the championship. So there's definitely no doubt that we've got the package, but uh, Mike will just prove that even further. Now, Mason Barbera, was he at the test day as well? Uh, unfortunately, Mason wasn't there. He uh, was quite sick last week and uh, was unable to make the test. So... Uh, that's really disappointing for him because he hasn't driven since Perth and uh, would have loved to get some laps under his belt uh, right before Townsville. But, uh, yeah, illness got the better of him. And also it was disappointing from a team's perspective because uh, we only got the one set of data with the changes we made, not uh, not the two sets. So uh, it was unfortunate. But, um, yeah, he'll uh, be fully recovered and ready to go this week. So in a situation like this where you haven't raced on the track before, how do you mm-hmm. how do you teach yourself the track and how do you how do you learn what you're gonna to need to do when you get up there for the real thing? Yeah, so part of my preparation I'll uh I um make sure I get heaps of data off the team uh well and truly prior to the event. So maybe six weeks ago I would have uh, hassled the team and my engineer to get um, some footage of Chris from last year in Super 2 and I also uh, get the team to give me the telecast from last year too so I'll watch that and study it um, and learn the track and also I'll do some simulated preparation at my house uh, studying the track, uh, driving it, practicing the gears, the braking markers and all that kind of stuff um, so with all those three things combined watching data um, and actual onboard footage plus telecast and simulator preparation I think I should be uh, in good stead this weekend. So, uh, Townsville's not on uh, PlayStation or or Xbox. How do you get a <laughs> How do you get a simulation of the Townsville racetrack or any of the other Australian racetracks that uh, you yeah, do? Yeah, so um, simulators obviously vary in um, different uh, scales. So, mine I'd consider as a basic setup. I mean. Um, Others would consider it advanced, but it's perfect for what I need. It's not motion-based. Um, it's just a, I've got a few different computer programs, uh, and you can actually just Google the track that you want to download. I'll just type in um, Townsville Street Circuit Download, follow the prompts, and I can download that onto my computer, and uh, uh, I can use that through the uh, through the given program. So for Townsville, I use a program called Automobilista, which is... Uh, good for the V8 around that track. I know others use the different programs, but that tends to work for me for this track. So uh, different programs work for work better for different uh, circuits. So um, it's quite interesting. But And also it's another thing that you've got to think about too. So simulators can be quite complex and trying to understand them and make sure that they're realistic is another thing too. So you've got to use them not to be 100% accurate, it's definitely better than nothing and can also uh, benefit you hugely. You say you've got a basic setup. So what does a basic setup entail? Yeah, so for my setup at home, uh, I've got uh, three monitors. So I uh, would consider that quite good. So 
um, it makes it feel a bit more realistic. Um, I've got a decent set of uh, pedals and also a steering wheel, plus uh, my computer's quite good and runs the program smoothly. So it's uh, just a bolted-together project. It looks quite nice, but at the same time, it's simple because it's not motion-based. It's uh, pretty affordable, um, and it's done me well over the last five years, so I'm pretty sure um, can compared to the amount it costs to go racing, uh, for something that might cost a few thousand dollars has definitely paid itself off. How many hours a week do you spend in a simulator? Probably a few nights a week, so um, depending on my schedule during the week, but maybe three or four times. So I'd say before a track, I'll try and do uh, 10 hours specific on that uh, that circuit. So, uh, yeah, it just depends, and also my knowledge prior on that track. So obviously Townsville's a new one for me, so... I'll do a few more hours on that one. And what about your fitness regime? What's that look like on a normal week? Yeah, so my fitness regime uh, is pretty simple, but also at the same time, it's perfect what I need to uh, the right fitness level for Super 2. So I'll train uh, pretty much every night during the week. Um, and then on the weekend, depending on whether I'm racing or at home and on the weather, I'll try and uh, get out on my road bike and do some cycling or I'll uh, get out and do some more cardio-based exercise like running um, and also go to the gym. So uh, just try and, I guess, uh, eat correctly is probably number one, but also uh, to stay um, fit and healthy too. So I try and exercise, yeah, as I said, once a day is uh, key for me at the moment. Is is your fitness more cardio than strength? I'd say it's pretty equal. So each night will change. So, for instance, tonight I uh, see my PT and do a weights-based training session. Um, and then tomorrow night I'll go for a run uh, with a few mates. So it pretty much changes on each given night um, to try and keep it nice and even. Well, Dylan, we're looking forward to seeing how you progress up there at Townsville this weekend and uh, wish you all the best for what yeah. will be uh, an enjoyable debut at the Townsville circuit. Yeah, thank you so much. I uh, can't wait to get up there and give it a really good crack. So hopefully we can turn our championship around and uh, try and close the gap to the guys ahead. But, um, yeah, just hoping for a clean round. Uh, really enjoy myself and um, make some inroads. So, yeah, thanks for the chat. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome to Inside Supercars, this is Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig, it's uh, certainly going to be an interesting weekend. Um, last year, Triple Eight uh, won both races, Shane, Jamie on Saturday and, and Shane on Sunday. Um go back to 2017 and it was Scotty who won the Sunday race so it certainly shows that uh, both teams have had uh, good success at that track I think Jamie's uh, won something like 10 races there but um, it's all dependent on how well they've adapted for the new year and uh, the linear spring will Triple Eight continue their resurgence back up the grid uh, to get qualifying uh, 
happening in a, in a proper sense, or will they be destined to uh, be the second of their Holden Commodore runners behind the uh, very much surging Erebus Motorsport? It's uh, certainly going to be an interesting year, don't you think, Craig? I do, and this track has been a triple eight track, but so far this year we've seen that it, that hasn't held true at any of the previous tracks. So will we see the uh, Shell, V-Power, Racing, Dick Johnson, Team Penske, um, you know, Steamroller continue its winning way? If it does, if it does dominate on a circuit that has been a Red Bull country, will we see more jostling for changes ahead of the Pertec Cup this year? That is going to be fascinating to see what might happen if it still is uh, Scott McLaughlin dominating everything. And you have to say it's Scott McLaughlin dominating everything because Fabian hasn't had that same advantage at the end of the race. So it is really, as you mentioned right at the beginning of the show, a driver domination this year in the best car and... That's always the perfect combination. Jamie Winkup in Triple Eight for ten years has been the dominant force. It's swings and roundabouts once again. We uh, will look forward to a postscript on this weekend. Of course, this is one of the uh, important rounds for television this weekend for supercars because it's a free-to-air weekend. Both Saturday and Sunday, we're seeing Channel Ten playing from uh, I think eleven a.m. to five p.m. or somewhere around that mark on both days, uh, getting all the racing to air live. So that'll be something to enjoy, and I hope that uh, all those people out there who enjoyed listening to the show will turn their televisions on and get the ratings up. So thanks it from me on Inside Supercars. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.